На трибунах олеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона Разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. The Fena L got underway last week, but starting tomorrow with the Super Cup, the RPL fares back into action this weekend. In this episode, we'll be previewing the RPL season, looking at the championship battle, the race for Europe, a tight mid-table battle, and finally the relegation scrap. After each, each section, as is customary here at RFN Towers, we'll make our brave and bold predictions for the season. I'm your host, James Nichols, and with me is a full house this week. I'll be joined by David Sanson. Hello. hello. Andrew Flint. Hello, boys. How are we doing? And Richard Pike. Good evening, guys. How are we all? Not too bad, actually. I'm a little bit excited for the season to come back. And to be honest, it's been a nice little short break after football for so long. And there's only really one place to start. And that's at the very top of the table in the championship battle in the race for the Cup of the Champions League spots. Now, first of all, it's worth mentioning that the European spots this year will be cut down. Portugal have overtaken Russia in the coefficients. So now we have the RPL winners who will advance to the 2020-21 group stages in second place into the third qualifying round of the Champions League. You'd think Zenit would be right in the mix once again, David? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, not look past him really after how, how strongly they finished the season and even with uh, rotating the team out for to let some of the kids play in there and the squad players get in. Um, you can't look past them as, as being challengers again. Obviously, they've They've done well so far in the chance window. They Obviously, they've lost Ivanovic, but they've replaced him straight away with Dejan Lovren from Liverpool, which uh, on paper should be an excellent signing for RPO level. Um, and they've brought back... I'm quite excited to see how what they do with uh, with Mostovoy after he had a good season with Sochi. Um, I think that could be an interesting one. Uh, the only surprise, really, I think, so far to all of us uh, after the pod we had a few weeks back is... Uh, Kakorin uh, going. We all thought he was going to stay on, but obviously uh, the powers that be have decided they didn't want him to stay, and uh, he's gone off to, to Spartak of all clubs. So it's a bit of a strange one there, but the squad is still strong. They've they've signed most of the big boys up to new deals. I think the only one they're really waiting on now is Kuzyaev, uh, who's sort of angling by the look of it for a move out to Europe if possible. Um, but they they want him to stay on. I think Richard Richard had mentioned to me that he he'd been offered big wages, so. Um, so yeah, you'd, you'd fancy them to be challenging, absolutely. I must admit, I was a little bit surprised about the whole Kokorin debacle. Obviously, we, we covered that in the, in the in last week's podcast, and and since then, it has been officially confirmed that he's a, he's at Spartak and he's now training at Tashina. It, it seems just very, very Spartak. But Andrew, do you think Zenit will miss Kokorin? Obviously, not from last season because he wasn't there. But mm. do you think that he could bring something to Zenit that maybe they didn't have, or a, a little bit of extra depth? Uh, honestly, short answer, no, I don't think they will miss him. Um, <laughs> and hence they sold him. I mean, he's a, he's a good, um, he's a good player and he clearly must have, I know we saw a lot of reports and pictures of when he was incarcerated, where he seemed to be enjoying himself a bit more than he probably should have been. Um, he still must have kept himself in reasonable shape. He was, re- he was motivated and quite frankly, I think he should have scored more than seven goals in the second half of the season for, for Sarchi. But where do you fit him into that Zenit side? Is a simple question. Um, I mean, you've got the best winger in in the Russian league, Malcolm. Out wide, you've got Asmun and Zuba. Uh, well, Zuba's tied down to a new contract. Asmun doesn't looks happy enough. Um, so 
would you just shunt him out onto the left wing? But like you mentioned, like David mentioned, Rostovoy coming back, that's going to be really exciting. Um, so quite frankly, I don't think, I think it was, a, it was a good business and sporting decision to let him go. I'm surprised it was Spartak who, who picked him up. Um, personally, I would have thought perhaps even Lokomotiv might have taken him, but uh, no, I don't think Zadik will miss him. Yeah, Andrew, I, I agree with that entirely. Do you think maybe Spartak on the opposite end, I, mean, I can predict the answer, but do you think this signing is a big one that could maybe push Spartak on? Is this really what they're looking for? Um, well, again, uh, your prediction, I know what your prediction is, and you're absolutely right. No, I don't think they did need him. Um, when you, <laughs> I mean, in, in all seriousness, when you, when you got Alexander Sobolev has, has proven himself at different levels of clubs, and I think he adapted to life at Spartak very well, although... He didn't, you know, it took him a while to, to get on the score sheet for them. I think he only scored two goals, I think, since moving. But he looks he looks really confident. He looks like he's in the right place. He's, he's the main man. But then when you've got Ezekiel Ponce and you've got Jordan Larson, both of whom I think have had largely very, very good form in the second part of the season, uh, what on earth do you need Kukoin for? I mean, for the wages he's on, we've ported, what, three and a half million euros a year, I believe his wages are going to be. Um, it's a massive financial outlay. And I just honestly can't understand. We said this last time, didn't we? You know, it doesn't feel like a Tedesco signing or a Shamil Gazizov signing. Um, so I, I, I just worry what's going to happen. I think pretty much Jordan Larson is going to get pushed out, um, which I think is a real, real shame because... He's got an edge to him. He's got an angry, talented edge to him. He's a bit cocky in a good way, if that makes sense, from, in my opinion. I like those sort of strikers. Um, Kokorin, he's got nothing left to prove. He's what, 29 years old. He's, you know, he's won the title, uh, technically. Um, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I think, uh, I think it's a bit of a strange sign. From my perspective, it's a little bit disappointing that Maxim Glushenko seems to be the one who will be possibly on his way out or at the very least not getting an opportunity in the Spartak first team like I hoped he would be after such a successful loan spell. Now, Richard, coming on to you next, if we just quickly jump back onto, onto Zenit for a second. Now, we discussed this Kokorin transfer as being like what Spartak anyway think is what could put them pull them to the next level. Now, Zenit themselves have only brought in Dejan Lovren from Liverpool and haven't strengthened as yet. And obviously, Sir Alex Ferguson claimed that you strengthen when you're at your best. That's when you get you become stronger and that's how you stay at the top. Do you think Zenit need to bring much more in? For, for domestically, anyway, uh, will they walk it again, <laughs> to put it frank? I think what is interesting, though, is, is this 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 eight-player um, foreign limit uh, when you're squad. And I think now you're seeing a situation now where Zenit... Having to be quite a bit careful here because obviously I think they've got a good solid um, two central defenders in Dejan Lovren and um, Yaroslav Rokitsky. However, they've got Prokin now, who's the third centre half. I don't think they've signed Jordan Osorio yet from Porto. Um, I've got to be honest, I wasn't that convinced about Osorio when he when he when he, when he was at Zenit, and I've heard Porto are probably angling out for seven million euros for him. That's what I read somewhere in the Russian press. So. I don't know whether I would pay seven million euros for him. So, but obviously, of course, if Zenit want to get a third central defender, they've obviously got to be quite careful with the um, the foreign limits because um, it's eight eight in your squad, isn't it? So, 
be interesting to see what they do. They were linked with another central defender, I think one from Fortuna Dusseldorf. I think he was a Turkish international. His name escapes me, but I think he's played three last three years in the Bundesliga. So maybe that's something worth pursuing if Porto don't want to drop their price of Osorio. And then obviously, I think they're all waiting on Kuzayev, really. Um, Kuzayev's the one. If he signs a new contract, then that is a good bit of continuity for Zenit. But if he goes then, you know, Zenit are already pretty tight on the foreign limit. They might even have to let go of, you know, I mean, there's talk of Emmanuel Mamama going on loan to Sochi, which I guess if they're looking for the centre-half, he might as well go on loan to Sochi and free up a spot. Um, and I mean, there might even be a case of, you know, maybe even Rigoni or Driussi going too. So, yeah, I think it, it, it definitely need a third centre-half and probably a lot of the, maybe another signing rests on whether or not, you know, Kruzaev signs a new deal or not, whether or not it's because to Europe, it, it's touch and go at the minute. No one really knows. Yeah, and it, there has been reported that you've, you found out yourself, Richard, that uh, Kuzayev is in advanced talks with signing a new contract but uh, and numerous other clubs. Is that right? Yeah, Valencia um, are supposedly in talks with him. And I saw there was links to, I think, Marseille in the past and I think Bordeaux in France. They're the three clubs that I've, I've seen mentioned. I heard his, his salary that Zenit have offered him is, I think it's something about, I think it's, between two and a half and three million euros a year, some around that wage, which maybe that's before tax and after tax, maybe something like two million. I'm not sure, but I definitely know that Valencia, Bordeaux, and Marseille are the three European clubs that were supposedly in for him. Um, but I mean, one thing I do think is quite interesting is that I think Zenit will want a decision on this pretty quickly regarding whether or not he stays or whether he goes. I think they set a limit. I think it's something like the 11th of August where they want a decision from him, whether he's staying or going. Mm-hmm. Um, they can pull, maybe prolong it a little bit after that, but not too much longer. They want clarity. They want continuity. So be interesting to see what they do. I have a feeling he'll probably stay. I have a feeling with Kokorin going, that's freed up a, yeah. a humongous amount of wage room on yeah. Zenit's wage bill. And I, I do think they'll probably pursue a deal to keep him if it means offering him more I think they'll do it because, you know, with this foreign li- limit, you've got to be careful, obviously. I must admit, I was a little bit surprised that Zenit let it get to this point of of him being physically out of contract. Zenit are quite a, a smart, well-run run, run club. And, and Kaziyev is like one of, the, one of the men that the framework for their success is built upon. And obviously that's without denigrating him too much because he's a fantastically talented player as well. But the one big news of late is obviously that Artem Zuba has signed a new deal with Zenit. David, do, do you think that it's probably the smartest bit of business that Zenit could could do in this summer and ahead of next season? Yes, I mean, it's certainly good business. Um, I don't know whether it's necessarily smart because I think it was probably easy business at the end. I, I don't imagine there was really anyone coming in to take him away. Um, he certainly wouldn't go to another Russian club. and It's hard to say whether really any foreign clubs would, would come in for someone of his age. Uh, and someone who would probably want to be paid as much as he he demands. Um, so yeah, I think it was a bit of a no-brainer. Um, you know, if they can keep him and Asmoon together, then they'll certainly be looking to to dominate again next season against uh, the bulk of the league. Uh, only a few teams really put up a, a decent fight against them last year. Um, considering they've not done much more business uh, other than bringing Lovren in, then then yeah, it uh, probably is their best business. Yeah, moving down a little bit further the tables, in second place last season was Loco. And they were the ones who really brought it to Zenith throughout the course of the season. They were the ones who were, who were closest to not on the heels, and obviously they did finish second and got Champions League qualifying. Now, 
personally for my money it's it's them again in second place I don't think Siska's young team are quite ready yet and anybody else is strengthened enough to challenge quite frank and a lot of that does rely on of course the future of Alexei Maranchuk now Richard as the latest transfer guru RFN with the new feature regarding uh, a rumor mill of of course that's on the site now um have you got the latest on the future possible future of Marantia? Yeah, I've, I've seen once again, to, I actually saw today something about the negotiations between AC Milan and Lokomotiv for Marantia have stalled. Um, I mean, I have seen reports that Milan want to buy him, Lokomotiv for negotiating a transfer, but there's been talk about one of either two players, either Diego Laxalt or uh, Ricardo Rodriguez, both left-backs at AC Milan. I think Rodriguez was out on loan at PSV Eindhoven last season. He's not wanted. And Laxalt is back up to uh, Theo Hernandez, who the French international, who by far is Milan's best player in that position. So basically Laxalt and Rodriguez just aren't wanted, but they'd prove, you know, providing Loco could stay within the foreign player limits, they'd prove very good acquisitions for Locomotive. It would strengthen that um, left side. Um but at the minute, yeah, the negotiation from what I saw today seemed to have stalled. I think I read some in the Russian press that, you know, there's still there's still are talks between the two parties, but they've stalled. Um that's I think Milan are the side that, you know, are strongly in for him at the moment, based on what I've seen. So we'll just have to see if that picks up. I, I suspect, you know, Milan will probably want to get this done quick because Serie A only finished last weekend, it's important to remember. So I think maybe in the next week or two negotiations there might pick up. And yeah, really, Loco, I think the rest of the transfer window probably depends on what they're going to get from Milan for Miranchuk, if they can get that sorted, get some money in, mm-hmm. probably even get, you know, one player part exchange. It will then, you know, go towards, you know, probably go on trying to find a replacement and possibly a striker. Striker's what Lokomotiv really need, I think. They they desperately need a striker yeah. because Edda is just, I don't think he's really good, good enough at all for Lokomotiv. Smoloff, we don't know what he's going to be like having come back. I think the idea with Smoloff would have been Celta would have signed him permanently, but he didn't really do a lot in the Liga. And um, unfortunately, um, Luka Djordjevic, I think that was a bit of a rush signing myself. He had that one good season at Arsenal, Tula, but... He's been struck down with injury since and you don't know whether he's going to be the same. So, yeah, really, what happens with the Moranchuk situation will determine. I think I think if someone like Milan is coming in for him, then I think eventually he will go. But it's just what terms. that That's the thing at the moment. To be quite honest, I was a little bit disappointed with some of Loco's attacking player but in the back end of last season. And obviously a lot of that is due to the the complete inability, inability of the strikers. They obviously small off being in Celta Viga. Um Adair is absolutely terrible. He can't even shoot towards the goal, never mind score. But coming on to how the new boss has done at Loco Anchu, now he came in under a lot of pressure just before the break and replacing obviously legendary Yu Samin, who is loved at Loco. And the very first game Loco fans went through in a walkout during the, during the game in respect to Loco and in anger at the sacking. And I was a little bit disappointed with their attacking performances, despite the fact that they were unbeaten and looked very solid. So coming on to you, Andrew, do you think they need more to need to show more and he needs to show more, especially after taking over from Samin? Well, I mean, it's a very, very hard act to follow, isn't it? I mean, how many how many managers can follow on from somebody who's been in charge, was it four? Is it even five times he's been manager of Lokomotiv? He's won league titles. He's got them into the Champions League. It's virtually impossible. Um, I think, to be fair to Nikolic, he's young in managerial terms. He's only 40 years old. He's won titles in more than one country. 
And he deserves some respect for that. And for me, yes, they do need they do need more than what they have right now. Like you guys have said, Ed Air is um well, he played for Swansea, that kind of says it all really. Um he's not up to European level football, certainly isn't a Champions League level striker. Um so uh, Smoloff uh, is is an issue. Um that could well be the answer. You know, he returns from Celta Vigo. Is he is he likely to stay? Is he, has his head been turned already by his spell in Spain? If I was him, I'd honestly... I mean, we've said this for the last three years, haven't we? That Smolov's window of opportunity has been shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and probably realistically has passed to make much of an impression in Europe. I wonder how much motivation there is for him. He's, uh, you know, as we know, he's engaged to be married to Boris Yeltsin's granddaughter this year, so... Perhaps his priorities are going to start changing. Who knows? But he is a quality striker. Um, who, of course, don't forget, he was entirely forged in Newcastle. You know, nobody should forget that. Um, but um, <laughs> nah, in all seriousness, I think Lokomotiv finished second by default. I don't think they really earned second place this year. I actually don't see them finishing second this season. Um, I don't think they're going to make Champions League football. So I think they lack. We'll get to the predictions just yet. I'm, I'm very tempted to be. So who is your who is your team? But we'll obviously we get the predictions in later on. But David's coming on to you. Local for me. I mean Andrew disagrees, and gonna have a little little interesting debate on that later. But for me, local second. And uh, do you think they've got the ability to get through the Champions League? And more so, last year I was quite impressed by how local played. Obviously, they still finished bottom of the group, but in arguably one of the most difficult groups in recent memory. Do you think that they could take that and, and work on how they how they play next season in the Champions League? I think uh, how they were playing post-COVID break was not massively impressive. They, were not, they weren't playing amazingly well, I didn't think. They were still grinding out the win, but not in the best of circumstances. And I'm sure if we looked into the stats, you'd see them presumably outperforming their their XG and things like this, which, as we know, is not sustainable. Um, and, and well, as we say, we, they've lost Farfan, who came back and earned them one of their late wins in the season, um, which uh, you know was was crucial in getting third uh, second place over Krasnodar, who uh, granted sort of collapsed a bit on their own. Um, but still could have challenged if they if they hadn't done something like that. Um, and if they lose Alexei Maranchuk as well, they, they'll be struggling. I, I wouldn't necessarily say they're dead cert for, for second. I think it's going to be competitive between them and them and mm-hmm. Krasnodar. Uh, Krasnodar obviously looking to have Klaassen back as well uh, after over a year out injured. And, and we all know how good a player he was before that injury. Um, actually, it's, it was a big shame, obviously, that they, they'd lost him. Um, so I don't think it's a, it's a dead set. I think it'll be between those two. Um, and, you know, if we get the Cisco back of old, then maybe a third, a third team could challenge. I must admit, I don't know about Cisco. It's, it, they're arguably right now the most difficult team to predict because you just don't know how these young lads are going to cope. And you don't know how these how the, the small squad is going to going to deal with the, the, the European games once again. And I think a large part of where they slumped was the lack of inexperience. And for me, yet, I mean, Gaic that they've got from San Lorenzo is a very good player, seemingly, and could be a good addition. But I'm just not quite sure if Siska have got what it takes to compete with Loco unless Miranchuk leaves and can't be replaced. 
Richard, what's your feelings on on Siska? Do you think they could steal that second place? I think possibly, possibly yes, because I I'm with um, I'm with David and um, with Andrew on this one. I think I think locomotive when if Manchuk goes and he's not properly replaced, I think that's a major problem because you know he was such he he basically got them second place last season. You know the lack of a striker at uh, locomotive really cost them. Um, they were, well, they were lucky that it didn't cost them because you know Miranchuk just scored goals, did pretty much everything for them last season. So I've you know Saskar an interesting one. I think this I, I've seen uh, footage on YouTube um, highlights of um, of Adolfo Geish, the new signing from um, San Lorenzo, the new striker. He could have he could add a real new dimension to them. I mean, you know, there's possibly playing a few more direct passes from time to time. He's quite a strong, tall striker. He can hold the ball up, maybe even a slight switch in formation. I think they've been playing 3-4-2-1, I think, last season for a large chunk of it under under Goncharenko. Maybe they might even go to a 3-4-1-2 this time and have Geish and, um, and Chaloff up front with... Um, Vlasic in behind and I think you know he looks at the sort of striker who will play other people in and from what I've seen with the highlights of him he can get into the penalty box as well I mean quite a lot of Siskar have basically gambled big on him I think they've spent nearly 9 million euros on him um, so he's certainly not cheap um, but he's going to be an interesting acquisition if Siskar can get the best out of him then I think they could well be up there yeah with Krastadar and Loco for that second place um, we'll have to see what else they do I think they'll probably have to a centre half as well they let um Gogua go to um, to Roto Volgograd on loan, um, so they'll probably need another centre half. So, been to see what other business they do. But yeah, I don't think it's a certainty Locomotive are going to finish second. I think it's going to be quite tight between Siska Locomotive and um, Krastadar for a second spot. In general, the Siska squad isn't that different from uh, from when they had that great Champions League campaign where they beat Real Madrid twice. Um, in the grand scheme of things, that squad, other than Becao, uh, who was yeah. who was a mainstay in the defence that year, uh, the squad really isn't that different. Um, I think last year was just a blip. Tactically, uh, they obviously had some injuries throughout the year as well, uh, and just players out of form. So we know the squad can perform to that level, um, which is why I don't discount them out of anything. Uh, you know, they had a, they had a good little streak there at the end of last season where where they won a few games and Chalov and Vlasic were back on form, and then. You know they they have added to it, but the defence uh, obviously has always been was the main concern last season. So it's something they need to try and address if they can. Obviously they they clearly got a bit of money now if they've spent on Geich and I've seen they they got a big new sponsor in Fonbet. So maybe they've got a bit of cash to to go and get another defender in, uh, which would be a, a big plus for them. But I don't think we can discount them necessarily. I must admit it's completely slipped my mind just how good Siska was in that. I genuinely completely forgot about that. And obviously, when if Chalov's in form is the big one, and Chalov had the third highest XG in the whole of the RPL this season, but couldn't finish, couldn't finish to save his life, and that that just showed. I think there's a large part of why Siska was struggling so much. And if Chalov could find form, then yeah. Perhaps you have been convincing me they could, but for me, the biggest challenger to second would be Krasnodar. If they can stay injury-free and get people like Victor Klaassen under the pitch regularly. Andrew, do you think Krasnodar have an outside chance of getting into the Champions League again, even with the dropping down to two places? Um, yes, I do, actually. And they they would be my tip for second. I actually honestly think that. The thing about Lokomotiv is... 
it's quite hard to tell exactly how much of an effect Nikolic will have uh, and how long it will take. And also, like we mentioned, we've covered already the uncertainty around the future of the mid Twins, how exactly they're going to play up front. And Tiska, their recruitment has been really, really interesting over the last, I would say, two years at least. That Champions League campaign, I, I was there in the Luzhniki watching that performance against Real Madrid, and it was there was sort of a nervous tension around the stadium, but you kind of felt like they weren't ever going to give up. And I think they've had a bit of a rocky 18 months or so, and, and Gontrenko has, has come under a lot of fire. But like you say, Chaloff has, you've got to remember, they have got into Europe again, into the Europa League, with Chaloff massively off form. Um, once he gets right back to his best. Now, what I don't know, and like Richard suggested, surely, surely Geich has got to be guaranteed a starting place, but how can Chalaf not also be guaranteed a spot? So they've got to play two up front, really. But how is that going to work? Is it going to bring out the best in Chalaf? Well, I actually think it will, because Chalaf playing up front on his own, he had that season where he was top scorer two seasons ago with, what, 15 goals, I think it was, in the Russian Premier League. And that he was on form. He had everything around him. He didn't have a break in form. When he when he had a bit of a dry patch, he struggled to get over it. Now, if the burden is finally off his shoulders, because let's be honest, Ilya Shkodin, I think, was a good, honest pro. Is about. I mean, that's patronising. I know because he's far better at football than, than I am. But you know, he's a decent, <laughs> solid player. But he's not going to change games, is he? Do you know what I mean, James? I mean, you know, yeah. Shkodin's not a game changer. Gaich has more than just physical prowess. He's a technical player as well. Um, so I think Tescar are going to be uh, more of a threat than they were this season. But I think Krasadar, I think Krasadar are mm-hmm. going to be Zenit's challenges. And for me, it's them who are going to get into the uh, Champions League alongside Zenit. Uh, Geich, obviously, you might have some little issues in in adapting at first or to the culture, to the lifestyle and such. But if he really does get his his feet grounded and and get off and get a really good start, then the type of player that he is could be a perfect foil for Chalov. Chalov a lot of the time is is stuck up there, he's isolated and and just surrounded by defenders. So if they get that big target man, as Richard describes described him, he, it could really be something to take a bit of pressure off Chalov. Yeah, um, I, I say on this YouTube footage I've seen of him, he seems like you know he seems like a complete forward in a way, not one like Zuba who's absolutely all the way up front and just nodding down flick downs and doing absolutely everything. You know, he's kind of like almost a support complete forward. Like I think he's the sort who peel onto defensive midfielders and pull wide and onto um, f- opposition fullbacks and, and win flick downs for them. And he's he's the sort who can bring you know peel wide, bring you know the wing backs into play at Siska, Someone who Chaloff can run past. Sorry, I'm who Vlasic can run past. So yeah, I think he, he's gonna. I think he could prove a good foil to. Um, to Chaloff, like like what Andrew was saying, so I'm really excited to see him play. I must admit, I've seen you know he's he's nicknamed the tank in Argentina, so that should be you know quite exciting to watch. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how the relationship between him, Chaloff, and Vlasic develops over the season. Yeah, it's some exciting stuff for Cisco fans. So with that in mind, onto the predictions, the exciting part. David, starting with you, who's your pick for first the league champions, and then who do you think will get second and finish in the in the Champions League places? I think uh, I'll make the safe and obvious decision and pick Zenit as the champions again. Uh, until until something drastic happens, you can't look past them uh, with the squad that they've got and the, the money behind them. 
Uh, and I think my, my pick for second, I think I will still go for Locomotive as it currently stands, just because I think they're, they're better at grinding things out than Crestar. But that's mm-hmm. without any transfers or anything. Andrew, how about yours? First champions and then second place. Well, like David, I'm going to be highly original and say it's the need for champions. I think anybody who doesn't is purely saying it to be original, to be honest with you. But so far ahead. And second for me, Krasnodar. And the reason I say Krasnodar is because their injuries have really, really hurt them this season. And yet they still managed to make third. Whereas locomotive have really been far from convincing, even under the end of Siemens' reign and afterwards. So for me... Uh, Krasadar to finish second again it's the Champions League behind Zenit as champions and Richard how about you what have you got down I'm going to go for Zenit to win the league like you guys I'm not going to disagree there I think they've just got too much too strong a squad um, and you know I think this year is probably a, a situation where for the chasing pack they've just got to try and close the gap because didn't they finish 15 points ahead of everybody else last season so I just don't think 15 points can be closed in a year unless you know a miracle happens uh, second place, I'm going to go for Krasnodar. I just feel if they can get themselves a striker sorted, because, you know, I, I just don't see Berger's being a striker who can really lift them to the upper echelon. If they can get themselves a striker and maybe get some people back, key men back from injury, I think Krasnodar will um, get second place. Um, and I'd actually go with Siska to be third, I think. But I think Krasnodar will play second place. And then for myself, I think it's pretty obvious where this is going to go. And it's Ural for champions. I think Andrew will enjoy yes, that one. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> what a great man. I mean, any any listeners listening should know by now that much as Toka did a great job as, as editor-in-chief of Russian Football News, they should know that James really was the brains behind the operation. You know, just listen <laughs> to the intelligence as he says. <laughs> what a natural sentence it sounds like. You know, Oralis champions. It's, it's blindingly obvious, isn't it? Really? Let's no go. bribes were ever taken in, the, in that statement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately, any bribe from me would not be worth much <laughs> my salary at the moment's <laughs> not enough and, and that's why it was of course only a joke it has to be Zenit of course it's Zenit it's absolutely brilliant and it'll continue on again next season second I'm going to go agree with David it's locomotive for me as things stand right now they've got the strongest squads they didn't impress going forward under Nikolic but like I said they were still unbeaten and Alexander Alexei Moranchuk is still at the club so next up is the race for the other European spots so next season Third and fourth will qualify as well as the cup winners. And of course, should a team who have already qualified for European football win the cup, then fifth will qualify. Now, they won't be going into the Europa League, however, but the Europa Conference League. This is a new third-tier tournament for countries who are sixth to 15th in the coefficients. Thirds will go in the third qualifying round, while fourth and the cup winners into the second. So with that being said, it looks like another top team could potentially miss out, Andrew. Ural? <laughs> no, 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 no. You see, James, the thing is, what I'll, I've been kind to other teams. We let other teams take the lead. We focus entirely on the cup. Um, we just happen to monumentally muck that up each time. Um, I, unfortunately, James, you may be surprised by this. I think, unfortunately, Oral might just miss out. And that's only because there's one fewer European place available. Oh, it's a shame. It's a shame. But <laughs> it would be interesting to see how Rostov do this time. And, uh, there's there rumours and we had our RFN awards in the back end of the season and, and a couple of our writers, or one of them actually voted for Valeri Karpin as, the, as their 
coach of the year and, and don't get me wrong, he's done an absolutely stellar job with taking over the way the, the club were in dire straits. But Rostov have been in terrible form since the restart. Absolutely awful. In the summer table, they're actually the second bottom team and only Orenberg have been worse than them. David, on Rostov, do you think that was just coming to grips with obviously the difficult start with the COVID and, and not being able to treat train together as a team and maybe being delayed in the preparations and they could have sorted themselves out by the start of the season? I think uh, I think Rostov were buoyed massively off their the early season form of Shomorodov, definitely. Like as soon as he stopped scoring, they they stopped playing well. Their backup strikers, uh Dolgov and Prostyakov, were were both dreadful. Um they they were getting minutes towards the end of the season just because Shomorodov was out of sorts or maybe lacking fitness and I think Prostyakov got sent off. I think even maybe Dolgov also got sent off. Uh, and they both missed absolute sitters. Um so that the depth that they had up front was just not good enough. And I still don't think they've they've addressed it. They've brought in a young Macedonian striker, but uh that's not really what you're looking to see. You'd like to see someone a, a bit older than nineteen coming in to challenge Shamorodov. Um and you know, without that they they were really struggling. You know, they they've got an aging team when you look at it in the big picture. That you know, their key players are Yonov, Popov, uh Yeremenko, they're they're all getting on. Um but but they were they were good, but they they were clearly a form team last year, and on the form that they finished, you wouldn't fancy them to be challenging for the top five again this year. I think. I must admit, I'm a little bit worried about Rostov. They haven't. I agree, they haven't strengthened enough. And Andrew, I think you've got you've got some interesting opinions on Rostov. If you want to just jump in. Yeah, I mean, just just very briefly. I mean, the th- the thing about Rostov that people should also remember. You're absolutely right, David. The form was dreadful, and and that Proshnikov miss against I forget exactly who it was. It was possibly the miss of a season, uh, about three or four games from the end. But they were massively disrupted. They were one of the teams to be really disrupted by the the coronavirus positive tests, and I think that really has thrown them thrown them off kilter. Um, so I think it's a it's a very hard team to predict. Like you say, with Shemurdov, they relied on his goals early on. Um, so that tells you that it's a bit of a worry that they depend so heavily on one goal scorer. But on the other hand, I do think there is more to come from them um, after their players, by now, I hope, will have been training for longer and will be getting back to full match fitness. So I actually think they're one of the hardest teams to predict for next year. They honestly could be anywhere from completely out of European contention to to challenging mm-hmm. challenging for the top two or three. I don't think they will, um, but I don't think I don't think it's the right thing to write them off too early. I'm not saying you guys are doing that right now, but anybody else looking in at Rostov, don't just look at the results on paper. Remember the context of it and what they were missing. So keep your eyes on them. Is all I'd say. Another positive from Rostov's book is that they've, they've been quite active in the transfer window and it seems like they've got a, a possibly a little gem from, from Japan, Richards. Now, in your, you've got a piece of a little spoiler for those who are listening, a little preview is that there's an article coming up on a little transfers to watch and one of them is is the, the new Japanese lads, the Kento Hashimoto. Do you could tell us a little, little more about him and what he could bring to Rostov? Yeah, I was, um, I've just had a look, actually, and... Um... 
he was playing FC Tokyo. In, I never thought I'd see the day where Rostov go to uh, the Japanese J-League for players. You know, um, they've normally been tied that scouts around, you know, Central Asia for Shomorodov, like we saying, and Scandinavia, like Ingerson and places like that. But no, they've gone to Japan for um, Kento Hashimoto. Um, looks like he's going to be either a defensive midfielder or a ball-winning midfielder. 26 years of age. He got capped, made his debut for Japan last year. He's replaced... In the national team, um, I forgot Makoto Hasebe, I think, a very experienced central midfield player, played a lot of years in Germany. And I've watched um, a few YouTube videos of him. He looks like, yeah, he looks like they found a real gem there. I think they only paid 800,000 euros for him. Um, looks like someone who can sit in front of the back four, but crucially as well, make interceptions too and get the play going. He looks like he got a decent pass on him. Uh, for Rostov to pick him up for 800 grand, I think is 800,000 euros is a real steal. Um, Obviously, we'll have to see what happens with Magnus Norman, whether or not that affects him. Could they f- incorporate them both, maybe? But that does look a good piece of business by Rostov. Um, but I'll definitely concur with with David that you know some of their attacking unit now, like you know the likes of um, Yonov and Yeremenko are getting quite old. They probably could do with some backup to Shamurodov too. But yeah, Hashimoto looks a real find. Um, definitely keep an eye on him. I think. I must admit as well, I mean, Rostov obviously finished in and around the same area as Spartak last season, and Rostov have the other half of the infamous prison duo in Pavel Mamayev after his release from Krasnodar. And I must admit, I I, I wrote him off. I, I said that he shouldn't have been signed straight away. He should have had some time away from the game, unlike Kukorin, who did have some time away. But he's been excellent for Rostov. He, he really has. Him and Yer, uh, Roman Yermienko has been sort of two creative fulcrums in, in, alongside Alexei Ianov, created a lot of these chances for Shomorodov. And although I do think they will drop down a little bit this season, it's, it's important to consider, reconsider, especially what Andrew said, is the, the circumstance of why they were so bad and at some parts last at the back end of last season with missing weeks at the start of the season, shoot two weeks at the start of the season, right as the season was about to start with the COVID-19 breakout. Now, Richard, if I come back to you again, you, you yourself, you follow quite a bit of the next team, which is Dinamo Moscow. Now, Dinamo are a bit of a mad one. They're kind of like them in Spartak or the cousins in Moscow who are just kind of a bit crazy and never quite look as good <laughs> as they should on paper. Now, they've, as we have it, released a hell of a lot of first-team players during the break. Yeah, it was such a cold. But to be honest with you, I think it was probably needed. Um, if you look at the players that they released, they released seven players. And you actually have a look at some of the players that they released. You know, Arti Yusupov, Roman Neustadter, Anton Sosnin, those are three centre midfield players. And let's be honest, it, they were all 30 plus. They were quite, you know, quite slow, quite old. The midfield, yeah, seemed to seemed to lack real real energy and, you know, dynamism. It was slow. So I think it was it was a big call, definitely. I was quite surprised at one or two going. Joao Zinho surprised me on the left wing and Vladimir Rukov in defence. Those two did surprise me a little bit. But I think the midfield definitely needed a clear out. It, it looked very old, very slow. Daniel Foreman's an interesting acquisition there for them. Um, he did very, very well at UFA last season. They're also in talks, apparently, and this deal could complete within days, apparently at the weekend, possibly, for um, Nicola Moro from Dinamo Zagreb, who um, is a Croatian uh, under-21 international. Um, not sure quite what... He, he seems like someone who probably might be a playmaker. I think he's played in more an advanced role in the past, but has dropped back. He didn't get a bad injury, has been dropped back a bit deeper, so might be someone who can use as a creative a creator. Um, so be interesting to see there, but yeah, I think the midfield definitely needed an upgrade. Dinamo, it was because they've got two decent players up 
up front in Komlichenko, who they paid for, who you know scored a lot of goals, paid a lot, of, paid a decent amount of cash for, and scored a lot of goals in um, the Czech Republic, and Maximilian Philippe. So I think it's maybe just a case of just rebuilding the midfield. They need a fresh new midfield. So um, I think that's um, a good transfer. Yeah. Uh, they needed to do it. They need to do it at the midfield. Yeah, I can't agree more with that. As long-term listeners know that we we all have kind of most of us have questioned the creativity of Dino's midfield specifically and how just how workmanlike it is and and getting rid of that is obviously they brought the age bracket right down and they're going to try to reinvigorate it. They're looking towards youth and Morrow himself. He did start full of the Croatian league relatively often and he did start much higher up the pitch and as he's got a little bit older he made his debut when he was 17 still only 22 but as he has got older he's dropped back a bit and now plays more of a, a water carrier role and and was absolutely brilliant actually in the in the victory against Shakhtar, draw sorry against Shakhtar Donetsk in the Champions League last season and that if it goes through has potential to be quite exciting now I've put a lot of why Philippe's struggles are down to that. Now, he's still played well, but he's turned on and off quite a lot. But, Andrew, I believe that you've got a little bit of a differing opinion about Maximilian Philippe and, and maybe not not so much of a fan. <laughs> yeah, I'll be honest, I really am not. I mean, he's got quality, but for me, his attitude, his body language, his demeanour on and off the pitch. I mean, I, I've come across him very briefly, not in conversation, but seeing him through mix zones and he just looks like he just doesn't want to be there. Um, I mean, if he if you could get the best out of him, you've got a cracking player on your hands. He's clearly got the technique. But I, I don't know. The, the transfer fee paid out for him means Dinamo really have the hands tied at this point. Uh, they kind of have to play him, and he knows that. Uh, when I, I'm not going to say Kirill Panchenko is a better player than him, but I think he, at times, can be a more effective one. Um, so... Oh, I don't know. Dinamo are a team that should should really be pressing for top four or five. Um, but I honestly, I honestly mean this. I think Maximilian Philip could be the the more of a hindrance than a help to getting to that aim. Um, I'm not talking about his previous life. I'm talking about right now, his form, <laughs> his state of mind. Um, would I take him out? Would I'll add a push possibly? Um, but he'd have to earn his place ahead of Andrei Yagodichev. I quite like the look of Philippe on a submit when he's when he's interested, but it does seem to be just a body like his body language is terrible at times. It seems to be like an attitude issue when I've I've like remember like it's in the front of my brain last last year at one point he was getting kind of told off by a referee and, and then went over at the sidelines and his manager was like having a word with him and Ovikov was having a word and, and he could just tell that he couldn't care less. Like he genuinely could not care less. But yeah. up top, I have been interested by Komlachenka. Interested, sorry, impressed by Nikolai Komlachenka, even though he's not really got off to the quickest of starts in terms of goal scoring. Now, David, do you think that Komlachenka, once he gets back to playing more in the Russian leagues and maybe hopefully could find some of that form that he showed in, Czech, in the Czech Republic, do you think that Komlachenka could push Dinamo to challenge Rostov for these new Europa, Europe Con- uh, Conference League places? Um. I think I, I'm agreeing with you that he uh, he was he was impressive after he'd signed without scoring uh, too many goals. I think he's what scored four, I think, or something in in the end. Um, but yeah, I, I thought I thought he was doing pretty well for them. The their shape and their their team 
they seemed to be sort of coming to a bit of desperation towards the end of the season. They were, they were chucking in young players left, right, and centre um, to try and give the, the team presumably a bit of a bit of edge, a bit of creativity, a bit of pace. Um, and I think the fact that they they were relying on these young players, we saw Komarchenko isolated a little bit. Um, but I think uh, with the bright players around him, you know, Philip, I think by the look of it, should be sitting presumably just behind the striker and and sort of playing as a, a second forward and a creator for Komlachenko. Um Whether he'll do that, whether he'll be willing to do that or not is another question. Um, but but I think uh, with the right players around him, uh, say Formian and, and Morrow, if they both uh, are starting regularly, um, then I think we could see, see him start to come good next season. I think they, they finished the last season quite well. So, yeah. Now, if we move on to Spartak, David, coming back to you again, mm-hmm. it's a very interesting transfer, and I'm personally very excited for it, but it has been sort of met with a little bit of ridicule in some aspects from Spartak fans, and that's the, the move of Oston Urunov. Mm. Now, you're, and we know you're a big fan. Do you think he could make a big impact at Spartak? I mean, I, yeah, I really like him uh, as a player. It's just just so fun to watch. Uh, but I think he suited Ufa's gameplay uh, to a T because they didn't have anyone else who could do what he do, which is to carry the ball. Obviously, Ufa are a very deep set defensive team. Uh, and he was their relief. He was the guy who, if you gave him the ball inside their own half, he could easily take on two or three players and get that ball out of their half and carry it up the field. Uh, now, Spartak obviously were playing a similar-ish formation to Ufa, where they were playing five at the back, three, and then a two up front. Um, so you, you'd assume in this case, he'd have to play as one in the midfield three. Uh, but who's he going to displace out of the regular starters? Zobnin, Umyarov, Kral, Bakayev. You know, that's that's four solo players that he's got to fight against there for one of those spots. It, it's a tough one. You know, he's still young. Is he just going to be a squad player? It's, it's a shame to see him maybe not play regularly after how good he was uh, in the spring. Uh, but I do wonder how his game style is gonna gonna sit in with Spartak. Uh, you know, the fans sort of seem to think it's sort of a bit of a, a Gazi's of pet pet project. Sort of, oh, he's just he likes him for Rufi. He's just brought him with him, and I can see him sort of falling into the Mirzov role where they're gonna get frustrated if he does start doing these sort of extravagant dribbles and maybe not if he you know maybe if a couple of them fail, fans are gonna get fed up with him quite quickly. Um, and I do worry for him in that aspect. Um, but at the same time, I trust in his ability. <laughs> well, Spartak fans are known for their great patience with footballers, of course. <laughs> no, <laughs> obviously, as a Spartak man myself here, I need to kind of go into this in that it's just the wrong... T- the pe- I am a fan and I would like to see him do well, but I think it's both the wrong time for Urnov and Spartak themselves. They don't need somebody in that position. Is he going to play a further up? No, absolutely not. Otherwise, they wouldn't have brought in Gakorin and they've got Larson, Pons, Sobolev and, and Glushenkov. You've mentioned, you've listed the midfielders that he has to displace. No? He needs to be playing regular football at this point in his career. It's a crucial juncture. He's only 19. He's only got 10 RPL appearances under his belt so far. And I think it's all just a little bit rushed, if I'm honest. Now, maybe Gazizov has said, look, this guy's going to be excellent you can see i mean if anybody can spot a player it's him we'll give him his credit but and get him in now basically that maybe that's what it is it's now or never sort of thing but it's just a bit odd 
Honestly, it, it's just doesn't really fit either way. And both signings for Spartak are like that. Do both improve the team without a shadow of a doubt? Absolutely. But do both really make sense? Not quite, no. I don't know where they fit in. In Spartak's biggest issue is they don't have a right centre-back yet and or a centre-back who's taken partner, Samu Gijo, and he is rumoured to be off. And, and that's just a huge problem position. And obviously Maslov did respectably well last season, especially against some of the smaller teams. He's, he's very good at helping bring the ball out. But at the end of the day, he's still playing a little bit out of position considering his complete lack of experience in a back three. And against bigger teams, and this really showed in the derby against Suska that these young lads like Maslov is just a little bit out of his depth, if I'm honest. He doesn't... And yes, he's playing against fellow younger youth players, but uh, with less experience. But these guys at Siska, these younger lads, have got a lot more than Pavel Maslov. Now, Andrew, what's what's your thoughts on, on Spartak? Well, I, I think um, I think we all can agree that... that you, going back to Udenov, I think we can all agree that Udenov himself is a... F- fabulously gifted player and I think almost an element of his transfer is almost just to make sure nobody else gets hold of him even if he's not directly planned to be straight into the first team um, I actually genuinely can't see where he would fit in either because the form of Spartak's midfield although this, the results have been wildly inconsistent for Spartak um, typically Spartak you might say um, the midfield has probably been the most reliable part of the side I would argue um, now, I mean, you, you mentioned about Pavel Maslov, who is arguably the greatest young defender in the world. Um, pure coincidence, he happens to have grown up in, um, <laughs> in, in all seriousness. In all seriousness, I mean, we, we, we laugh about this. You mentioned about him playing, not being used to playing in a back three. When he first started uh, playing professional football, as one of the youngest players to play in the second tier at that time, um, he has played in oh, literally across the back line but he he was seen at uh, at Jumen in the second level he was seen as too small to play as a central defender he was played as a fullback mostly now if he bulks up i think he could well become a very very capable um back three defender but i think he's got a lot of room to he's got a lot of room to to fill out in that respect so mm-hmm. even yeah. in my most wildly biased sense I think you're right that there's issues that need to be sorted out in that defence. Um, Maslow is one who is definitely going to be a very good professional in the long term, but he needs to develop and learn at this level. And I don't think if Spartak want to, if Spartak wants to take that step up to European qualification, unfortunately, I'd have to admit that Maslow isn't quite ready just yet. But in a couple of seasons' time, maybe. Um, that that was one part that I mean, obviously. I didn't want to go in on Mazov too hard there. He, it's clear that he will develop, and that's why he got the nod ahead of Ilya Gapanov, is because he's so highly rated and they want to fast track his development. But at the time when he started playing more regularly in that role, a lot of Spartak fans were actually quite surprised that it wasn't Ilya Gapanov who who got that nod. He's he's older. He's he's a centre back by trade. He's a lot bigger. He's already he's already what seventy five kilos. Like he's he's a big fella. So a lot of fans were surprised because of that. But it's a credit to Maslow why he was given the role. And and he's performed well enough. There was an own goal that he scored, which was humorous. Even Sochi players were laughing at it, but it was not his fault <laughs> yeah. whatsoever. It was quite ridiculous. And apart from that, he's not really made too many mistakes. He's just been quietly just 
getting on with his game and hopefully can progress more from a Spartak perspective. But predictions. So this is the difficult one. It's the three places, third, fourth, and fifth. We'll just say, who do you think is going to get the highest out of these, David? Who do you think is going to get into this Europa Conference League? I think my three picks would be Siska, assuming they're not challenging for top two. Um, I want to say Spartak just because the squad is good enough. And hopefully, Go they, on. hopefully they can get it together. <laughs> um, but the, the mid-table is just so tight, as we all know. I mean, Mm-hmm. It's anyone's guess as to who the who the last pick could be. Um, I don't want to go for Dinamo because I feel they may struggle with Europe alongside. Similarly with Rostov, obviously both teams have got to juggle Europe. Um, when it starts again in September, they've both got to qualify. Um, so maybe maybe someone else from the mid the mid table pack could sneak in. I could lean and bias myself and say Rubin because they we started uh, no sorry we ended the season well. Um, but it's anyone's guess. I'll, I'll go for the, the trifecta of Moscovites, Siska, Spartak, Dinamo. And Andrew, how about you? Who's your three? And of course, just to let the listeners catch up again, we are picking three here, even though there's only two confirmed spots right now, just because the other one goes to the cup final. And it's just in case, say Zenit win the cup again, then fifth would get it. So, Andrew, your three? Yeah, I, I actually, similar to David, I'm going to go for three Moscow sides, but not the same ones. I'm going to go for Siska to finish third. Um, I just, I, I don't know, there's something about that side that they just seem to be, there's a gear that they have available to move up into. I think they're going to, I think they're going to get third. Lokomotiv, just simply because they still are a reasonably experienced side, but they've, this just seems to be chipping away at what they were from a season or two ago. Um, Spartak, I'm going to pick for fifth. Now it's a bit of a gamble. Any gamble on Spartak is a is a, is a bit of a risky one. Um, if you get the best out of Spartak, they really could be title challengers. But I just don't think you can quite depend on that consistency. Um, Dinamo, I just I have no idea what to make of them. Um, so I'm not. I don't quite have the faith in them, and mostly because Maximilian Philippi is still there. I, it's, it sounds like a personal crusade against the guy. I don't, I don't mean it's come across that way, but I think when you have such a big name signing, it's always a bit of a, it's a bit of an elephant in the room. It's a, it's a mental block almost. So for me, Tesca third, Locomotive fourth, and Spartak fifth. Yeah, I did sort of forget about Loco, I must admit. I had named them second, but then that means I forgot about Krasnodar. So let's just chuck Spartak and Dinamo out of there and bring bring Krasnodar in for my ones. <laughs> chuck Spartak out. Nobody puts, does that at Spartak. Richard, how about you? Who's your three picks? Well, I tipped um, Zenit to come first and Krasnodar to come second. So um, I think third, I'm going to go for Saskar. I think, you know, I really think they could push Krasnodar too. For second place, but I'll go. I'll put them at third for the time being. They probably do still need another player at centre half, mind. But I'll put them at third. Uh, fourth, I'll go for Loco. I think you know Miranchuk's departure could be a real, you know, a real thing that could hurt them. You know, they've got to get a striker, and I definitely think they are. They're going to be struggling without a striker, and they've got to replace Miranchuk as well. So I'll put them at fourth, and then fifth. I still don't know what to make of Spartak, you know, because we all know Tedesco is a bit of a loose cannon on the sidelines. We all know he's only contracted for one more year. Will the Kokoran thing, as we've all said, will it destabilise everything at Spartak? I'm not sure. So I'm going to lean towards Dinamo and finish Dinamo to finish fifth. So Siska third, 
Um, Locomotive fourth and Dynamo fifth. I'm still not sold on Spartak, you know. I'm still not sold on them. And, you know, Spartak are Spartak. We all know what they're like. It's quite funny because I think I've got a completely different three again. So for me, it's Krasnodar third, Siska fourth, Spartak fifth. And uh, I promise the last one's not any bias because I don't like Tedesco. (laughs) I don't rate Tedesco (laughs) very much. I just think Tedesco is the fiery sort of crazy guy that they don't really need in charge right now. He's he's not the sort of... Look, Spartak either needs somebody with a hell of a lot of personality and a hell of a lot of charisma. Now, he's got personality, charisma, I don't think so. Or they need someone who's going to put their arm around these lads, put their arm around these players who are just a bit mental, a bit nuts, and and have to and some of these younger lads and help them deal with the enormous pressure on the shoulders. And I don't think Tedesco is quite that man. But that being said, the quality is there. And I think Rostov are going to drop back a little bit. And Dinamo are absolutely crazy. Can I just come in there a minute, though? My, my fifth place for Dinamo is conditional upon a bit more recruitment. I still think there's a few positions they need. Definitely the left winger. They probably chuck out quite a lot of the right right-sided wingers in the squad. They've absolutely loads of them and um, probably another centre-half as well. So fifth place for me with Dinamo is conditional upon some recruitment. Um, but yeah, I think it'd be quite close between Dinamo and Spartak. I'd just go with Dinamo because I'm still a bit unsure on Spartak. But it's conditional upon recruitment, of course. Mm-hmm. Now, don't worry. Every, everyone's unsure on Spartak. I think even Lena Fadoon's unsure on Spartak and he owns a buddy club. So moving on next <laughs> is we've got the mid-table battle. Now, mid-table is probably the closest of all pretty much there was only five points separating eighth and twelfth now that team who finished eighth last season arsenal they had the third highest goal scorer in 2019 20 you have now richard come back to you straight away do you expect more of the same but possibly solid but unspectacular overall performances from arsenal this year could they kind of lead this mid-table battle again i mean we all know david's going to go elsewhere (laughs) <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see how Lutsenko and Arsenal 2 get on again. Um, obviously, you know, we had a very good season last season, comfortably into double figures. Must be, must have been probably the best goal-scoring season of his career. Um, yeah, they've been yeah, recruitment, quiet, quiet with the recruitment so far. Um be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, players like Lebedenko and um, Kachuk are getting quite old now. To catch up again, quite old now at Arsenal Tula. When they actually changed coach last season, started playing the likes of you know King Kings Kingsley um, Kanga Kangwa Kings Kings Kangwa and uh, one or two others, they started looking a little bit better. So it's interesting that transition. I think now with Arsenal Tula, they've had players like Kachov and Gobatenko who've been quite good. But interesting to see what they do in the market. Um, They haven't signed anybody of note yet, but I don't know. I feel that. I have a feeling Rubin are probably going to f- finish a bit ha- higher than what they did last season. I can see Arsenal, Tula, I don't think they're any kind of relegation danger. But I probably could see them dropping off a little bit. I think some areas of the squad probably getting a little bit old. We'll have to wait and see um, what they do in the market. But I, I mean, they'll still be comfortably mid-table, but maybe I could see a bit of a drop-off. So, David, is there anyone that you would like to highlight in particular who finished mid-table last season? Perhaps your boys, Ruben? Yeah, I mean, we had a, considering we were sort of relegation fodder, potentially, uh, at at the turn of the year, uh, Slutsky turned it around after Christmas, I felt, uh, particularly after the the COVID break, we we had a very good run of form. Um, And, you know, we've added, we've added some good good signings in, in uh, Merkulov and Despotovic. So uh, I'm quietly optimistic that those two, and obviously 
I forget, Oleg Shatov, uh, which is hopefully an amazing signing for us. Um, so I'm quietly confident that that we can maybe put something together and have a good have a good run at uh, maybe even sneaking into the top five. Uh, I, I like I liked how Arsenal finished the season uh, as well, though. Um, I, I thought they I thought they did well bringing in the young players. Ufa maybe will struggle with uh, having lost Fomin and Urunov. Uh, they've really got to do something to uh, re- try and replace those. Uh, and you'd maybe back Sochi to, to have a better go next season. Uh, the squad's still pretty good. Uh, granted, they have lost Kakorin. Um, but, but yeah, I sort of I sort of found them to probably have a better go than they did this year. Yeah, with, with Ruben, it's quite interesting. I, I agree. I think they made some really smart and, and clever signings so far, and especially... Shatov and Despotovic. Now Despotovic was the had had the fifth highest XG of anybody in the league last season, despite stopping playing in early March. He was that's I think I tweeted out that it's not really a a hugely interesting or or exciting signing maybe by Ruben without any any like without pushing any hate towards him too much. But it's just a very smart signing. It, it makes a lot of sense and and Ruben really impressed me last year, especially. When like when Slutsky took over, like uh, only really went when Slutsky took over and have some exciting players and and I think they're probably the best suited out of this bunch of teams. Now, Andrew, it's your boys next. It's Ural. So, <laughs> do you think they could? How, I, I'll not for I'll not I'll not have a leading question here. How do, how do you think Ural do? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can sense that you had to resist temptation there, James. So I I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um. Okay, let's be honest. Ural are our relegation fodder this season. Um, it, it's been possibly, no, not possibly, by a country mile, the most depressing transfer window I, I've known since I've started following Ural. When you consider that this calendar year, Nikolai Dimitrov retired, Archon Fiddler admittedly has paid very little part in the last year, 18 months, but he's been a calming presence and he's come on and he's been a good He's been a good controlling figure in the central midfield. He's retired. Pavel Fugrebniak is no great loss at all, but you know he still is a an experienced striker. Petrus Brumal has left the club. Michel Kucharczyk has left. Um, uh, Mikhail Merkulov going to Rubin Kazan. He's arguably one of Ural's best players. Um, and who's come in? David Karayev from the third tier. He's the only permanent signing that's come in. And Marco Aratoria's return from loan, having been little short of dreadful in his time in Russia. Um, oh God, I mean, it's I, I don't I don't know where the goal's going to come from, and I don't know how we're going to stop the goals being conceded. I, if anything, I would argue that um, Gerasimov was Udal's best defender for the second part of the season, and we waited was it seven years? I think it is since he joined the club to actually making his debut, and he, I think he actually looks okay. Um, Ural this season honestly I have no hopes other than survive relegation if they do that I generally consider that a success what I would say about the mid-table is it's, it's so, last season was so tight wasn't it boys I mean the table was so hard to call pretty much all the way through the season my my personal tips for challenges for that I'd say it is this season too well I, I, absolutely and, and I think this season is, is it's going to be it's going to be one of the hardest to call in quite some time. I think the the best the best challenges the strongest challenges for the top five. I'm, I've actually picked Rubin in my own table to finish sixth. 
Um, I think they really could do well. You, when you made that tweet about Georgia Despotovic, James, and you said it wasn't an exciting signing, I actually, I actually think it is a. I think it's a very exciting signing. I mean, you you quite rightly said it's a very sensible, smart signing because of his xG. He's an aggressive target man. He's a technical guy. He can link up with the midfield as well. And I think that is one thing that Rubin missed a little bit last season. Ivan Ignatiev hasn't quite gelled yet, but we all know, of course, that Rubin have really, really attacking, threatening, attacking midfielders, wingers. Um, and what they need really is is a, a target man who they can depend on to put the chances away. So I think Rubin are going to do well this season. Um, Dinamo will be there or thereabouts Rostov I just cannot call so I put Rostov and Akhmat and Arsenal in that middle group um, Yeah, Sochi I think are weaker certainly than last season so I put them roughly around 10th or 11th um, Ufa I think are going to struggle because I, I haven't seen the replacement although we all know that their recruitment Shamil Gazizov is one of the best sporting directors in Russia without him I think that's going to be a big loss so I think Ufa are going to struggle, but just about succeed in escaping relegation. Um, so that's how I see it. Ruben, though, I, I think keep your eyes on them, David. I always joke with Ufa. It's quite funny that I, uh, <laughs> most of the players they sign is, is somebody that I've genuinely never heard of. And I don't mean that to disparage Ufa at all. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a compliment, if anything. It's how brilliant their scouting network is and yeah. how they find these gems from nowhere. Nope. You mentioned Sochi there. Now, Richard, I believe there's a, a, a possible development that's taken place that could limit Sochi next season and, and, and maybe limit the amount of loan players that they've received from Zenit. Yeah, I think there's been some something about the clubs today having a meeting about restricting uh, the number of loans you can get from another fellow RPO club. I think it's to two per club, I think, um, which could be quite interesting. Um I know recently they've been linked with Emmanuel Mamama on loan from Zenit. So I think Mamama's basically Zenit's just given up on him, basically. they It's such a shame because he came to Russia with such a reputation from Lyon. He'd been an Argentine international, but he's just been plagued with injury since he come. Um, and now, yeah, there's talk of him going out on loan to um, Sochi. But obviously with this new ruling now, it'd be quite interesting to see whether that cuts off a supply of players to Sochi. I think Sochi should try, if they can, to diversify the dependence, though, on, you know, cast off some Zenit. If you think about it, Sochi's the kind of place, you know, where you get good weather all year round. I think they should try and cast cast a net a little bit wider, you know. I think they could appeal, because they've got relatively wealthy owners. I think they could appeal to maybe some players from overseas, you know, from players from relatively warmer climates like Africa and South America. I, I think gradually... I can see why they went with Zenit signings at the start because you want the experienced players who know the league. But, I mean, it's difficult to see where they could do this season. I don't think they'll get relegated like, but it's going to be quite difficult in a congested mid-table to, to put them somewhere. Obviously, Kokorin going is a big blow. And yeah. if, if this is true about no restricting loans, then, yeah, that's a blow as well. But I think, really, with the, the kind of climate down there, they, can, they, they should be more... Because, you know, the weather may be in Moscow in... December could be quite difficult to attract foreign players if you're not one of the big clubs or somewhere like that. But down in by the Black Sea in Sochi, I think you know the climate's very nice. So I think it'd be interesting to see if they can try and diversify their transfer strategy a bit. Maybe like target some players from maybe even South America or or Africa, you know, to you know fill up their foreign quota. Um, but yeah, that that will be interesting to see how they get around that Sochi because they have relied on that from 
loans and permanent transfers from Zenit. It'd be interesting to see if that avenue could be cut off. It would be nice if Sochi actually had a strategy, apart from let's just do what Zenit do. To be, I don't <laughs> want to be quite honest. Sochi, yeah. uh, I think, will struggle. It's unless they do something about that. Uh, I mean, this news Zenit could easily circumvent this. They. They, and just like Spartak can, it can be circumvented, like Spartak did with Guliev. Let's have this little buyback agreement and so on. They could just sell them instead of loaning them, cancel contracts, get them back later, anything. So, But it is, of course, a step in the right direction. And we're actually that hot off the press right now is that that was literally just announced by the RPL within the last half an hour. So the the rumours and, and, and little sources and little tidbits of information were had that they were, if that was, bang on right. It's literally just been translated and stuck up on the RPL website. Now, from Sochi and being Zenit's farm club, for lack of a better word, to lower down in the table and a possible farm club down who had just been promoted from the Finnell. So last year, due to COVID-19, there was no relegation playoffs as Krilia and Orenberg were relegated directly finishing 15th and 16th for 2020-21 it is planned however that to make a return so david will the newly promoted teams be involved here could they perhaps push on or do you think it's pretty much a battle for survival for both rotor and kimki i think uh based on what we've seen from kimki in the cup um you'd fancy them to be able to probably join the mid the mid table pack um based on how they defended well against Zeni, and you'd fancy maybe against the teams like uh, Tambov, Ural, etc., that they could maybe go out and score a few goals. And we saw them do that to Ural in the semi-final. Um, Rotor, without having seen them, obviously they won the league last year, so in theory they should be the team who would do better. Uh, but the squad isn't jumping out as star quality. Um, so I'll, I'll reserve my judgments on them and say that they will come last for the time being. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but the the other relegation picks, uh, surely Ural. Sorry to say, Andrew. That until they do something in the transfer window, that they're 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 high high choice number one, uh, and probably Tambov to struggle as well. So that's your 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 two for direct back down is Rotor and Kimki, and then Tambov and Rotor and Rotor and Al to be the bottom two. Well, and then for the relegation playoffs, Tambov and Ahmad. Yes, that's all I was hoping for. Andrew, how about you? We'll go directly on to predictions this time. If you want to just go with your predictions and then go with, discuss who you want. Well, yeah, I look. This is a sign of how bad this um, situation is for Ural. I I am wildly biased towards them, as everybody well knows, and I'm picking them for relegation playoffs and I'm not saying whether they will survive those relegation playoffs but I've got it down for me 13th I've got Odell Kimki I have said I've been impressed with them in the Russian Cup and I do think they will survive I think they will be in their relegation playoff but survive um, and bottom two for me Tamboff I agree I think they're going to struggle there's so little direction about where they're going to play and their stadium They've taken a very long time to redevelop their stadium up to Premier League standards, and I'm I'm just wondering how much how long that's going to last. Um, Rota, I put a 16th as well, um, but I'm reluctant to do so because of the stadium they play in. Um, just simply, <laughs> they should be able to attract decent players, and we know that um, good stadiums are 
encouraged to be filled by teams that are in the top flight, should we say. So 13th Udal, 14th Kimki, 15th Tamboff, and 16th Rota uh, is my bottom four. And Richards, well, what have you got so far for predictions and then discuss a little bit about these teams? Yeah, I think Tamboff might struggle a little bit. I mean, Kirill Panchenko is a very good signing for them. Um, but it's the issue of, yeah, again, the stadium issue, you know, they were paying out in, is it Nishinovgorod they're going to be playing this season or Mordovia, is it, or Saransk? Where, are they are they based out there or? Nizhny Novgorod at the moment, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think that's going to be a problem because like I say, it's additional travelling on top of, you know, and they struggled last season. Let's not forget they only survived by the skin of their teeth last season. So I think Tamboff are going to be one to go. I'll put Rotor in there as well. Um, I mean, they've made signs, but I did I did read that article that was put up on the RFM by Geist, one of our writers, and he said, you know, they're going to have an FNL budget in the in the RPL, which is a bit of a worrying sign. I mean, they've got the stadium behind them, um, and it's it's great to see them back in the RPL after so many years. But I think they're going to struggle. So I think Tamboff and Rotor will be my bottom two, um, and then in the relegation promotion playoff. Oh, I'm going to go Ural in 14th and Kimki in 13th. Oh, Andrew, it's not looking good for the boys. It's not looking good. <laughs> it's not. Don't, don't keep repeating it because I know it's true. But What I will say, though, guys, is that it's quite interesting how Andrei Semyonov's being linked with um, Dinamo Bosco from Akmat. Now, if they were to lose him, that could be a real big blow because, you know, he's obviously a, a Russian international. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see what happens in the next few weeks regarding that because if they were to lose Semyonov I think Atmat could be in real trouble because you know he played every single minute last season you know an un- unheralded unsung hero and, and only got three bookings so that's just the level of player that he is so it'll be quite interesting to see what happens on that front but for the time being I'm going to go Kimki 13 for Ural 14 Yeah it's funny you mentioned that because I was just about to you stole the words out of my mouth but yeah Semyonov is, is a huge player for Akmat as you said every minute last season he's He's been in and around Spornaya squads in recent years. Now, kind of fell away from that a little bit, but he's still easily one of their best performers. Now, they've lost, for me, which is a big, big loss, is Denis Klusharkov, who hasn't, as of yet, extended his contract with Akhmat, and that ran out at the end of the season. And Klusharkov basically saved Akhmat from relegation, to be frank, last season. His form from when the restart took place to the end of the season was nothing short of miraculous. In every single game they lost, with he wasn't a part of except for one. Now he he was absolutely brilliant, and that pains me to say because he was so so terrible in his last season at Spartak. But with that, I think it's got to be Rutter and sixteenth. I think they're going through a little bit uh, too much turbulence in the transfer window. They've already got rid got brought in eleven and got rid of twelve players. And granted, some of them were fringe and not all first teamers, but it's just a little bit too much. Tambov fifteenth. Sorry, but Ural, 14th for me. That defence is bloody awful and they still don't have a striker. And then I'm going to agree with and go Akmat, 13th. I think Akmat are losing big players. Gorodov in goal is gone. He's went to Krasodar and a free. And I think that's that's going to be a big loss for them. Andrew, uh, I don't know if it's looking good for you boys. I think they might might finally come to their year. Either that or obviously a lot of transfer window left. They might find that golden ticket and get the striker they've always needed. Well... All, all, all they need is all they need is about eight first team players, and they'll be absolutely fine. So it's not nothing to worry about. It's all right, Spartak are the same. If they want to get anywhere near Zenit, <laughs> I don't know how that feels. 
Hey, look, look, James. You, you say you say it's not looking good for you. You most of I, I think if I if I've remembered everybody's predictions correctly, three of the four of us have said Ural will finish outside the bottom two. <laughs> I view that as a massive. And hopefully, success. it gives them that chance to stay up and, and build on it. But the lost path Yenov, which is a good move, and that's been it for the this week's episode of the RFN podcast. Remember to check out the official Russian Premier League YouTube channel where all eight games will be streamed live this weekend. Go to the site at russianfootballnews.com for coverage of all the games and wider goings-on, including another rumour mill piece and Richard's latest feature. And as I've mentioned, that's RPL new transfers to watch. I've been James Nichols. That's at James Nichols on Twitter. David, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, That's at RFN underscore David. Andrew? Uh, At Andrew M-I-J Flint. And Richard? At Rich D Pike 89. That's been it for the RFN podcast. We'll manage to sneak in Kooky Survival without Andrew even realising. Goodbye for now. Веди его, беги, точнее его удар Но мяч берет в ноги решительный вратарь Не напрасно футбольное поле Самых ловких и смелых плечов Здесь нужны тренировка и воля Быстрота, увлечение, расчет 